Good morning. Good to be back. Had a good trip out to Dallas last week and uh, about as much fun as a, uh, as a bunch of goofballs can have. We had it. Um, I talked to some folks about how we drove out there and uh, made sure to uh, emphasize that I wasn't doing all the driving and uh, just different things. And obviously, uh, if you've ever seen the skit group that participated in SWAT, uh, you think we have fun on stage, you used to see us when we're not in front of people. Uh, as you can imagine, it's it's only worse, but uh, we had a good time, safe travel out, and uh, just was blessed to be out there. And, you know, it's an amazing thing to, to be able to go back after a missing last year, and, you know, so many people remember you and come up and talk about how they've been praying for you. And, you know, the, the church, local church is amazing, and, and the beauty of that is that you can multiply that by how many ever churches are in the world. And, um, you know, we have such a great opportunity, great network that maybe we don't capitalize on enough. Uh, but uh, it's amazing what the Spirit can do with so many different people, so many different backgrounds. Uh, and the beauty of that is, is that God is victorious, uh, regardless of how successful the world may look at us and think we are. Uh, he's able to accomplish what he does. And uh, we're going to continue that theme as we uh, go back and pick up kind of where we left off with the prophets as we ease back into that. And, you know, for some people, the prophets, when I say that, you automatically kind of gloss over. Uh, I've been there. I've been guilty of that. And so as we do that, I try to give us some kind of imagery to go on. The, the Hebrew writings, the Old Testament, uh, was very image-driven. Uh, something that you can picture, that you can sink your teeth into. And as we get started, I think the thing that we can look at, if you need some imagery, is uh, this brothers versus each other, this sibling rivalry. You know, if, you, uh, you know, if you're uh, the only child, this may be difficult for you. Uh, if you're the only child, but maybe you have a dad or mom who gives you a hard time, maybe you can picture them, I don't know. Uh, but me, I've got plenty of siblings to go around. If I didn't have enough siblings, I had cousins who could fill in this role. But as we talk today, we're going to look at Lamentations and Obadiah. And those all happen around the same time, 586 B.C. Uh, the Babylonians are in power. They're coming. Uh, and, and depending on where you read in the book, it kind of straddles the destruction of Jerusalem prior the destruction and after as they're being led out. And Obadiah speaks to Edom, which is the descendants of Esau. And what Edom had done during the destruction of Jerusalem is they were kind of over there sitting there, and here's your imagery, na-na-na-boo-boo, look at what God's doing to you, na 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 And instead of helping their distant relatives, they're rejoicing in the fact that Babylon is punishing them. And what Obadiah is, he writes this book, this chapter book, and basically says, what do you have to make fun of? The Babylonians are coming for you too. I oftentimes think about this, obviously in a sports context, especially in basketball. A lot of the teams that you play in basketball, you play again a second time. And it's real easy to celebrate, you know, that, hey, we beat you this time, but you got to play them at their place next. You know, and it's real difficult in any sport to beat a team a second time. So it's kind of one of those things where it's like, what are you gloating about? You know, punishment is coming to you, but the beautiful thing that we'll look at is that God is going to reign over all. And we'll look at some themes, some running themes. I, I won't be able to spend as much time on this as I would like to. We'd be here all afternoon. But I will touch on some things that maybe might wet your whistle that you can go and look at 
and, and on your own. And so we're going to start. I'm just going to read uh, the chapter-long book of Obadiah. If you would bear with me, and this is the New Living Translation, so I'm sure it'll be a little different uh, than what you're used to reading. This is the vision that the Sovereign Lord revealed to Obadiah concerning the land of Edom. We have heard a message from the Lord that an ambassador was sent to the nations to say, Get ready, everyone. Let's assemble our armies and attack Edom. The Lord says to Edom, I will cut you down to size among the nations. You will be greatly despised. You have been deceived by your own pride because you live in a rock fortress and make your home in high mountains. Who can ever reach us way up here, you ask boastfully. But even if you soar as high as eagles and build your nest among the stars, I will bring you crashing down, says the Lord. If thieves came at night and robbed you, what a disaster awaits you. They would not take everything. Those who harvest grapes always leave a few for the poor, but your enemies will wipe you out completely. Every nook and cranny of Edom will be searched and looted. Every treasure will be found and taken. All your allies will turn against you. They will help to chase you from your land. They will promise you peace while plotting to deceive and destroy you. Your trusted friends will set traps for you, and you won't even know about it. At that time, not a single wise person will be left in the whole land of Edom, says the Lord. For on the mountains of Edom I will destroy everyone who has understanding. The mightiest warriors of Teman will be terrified, and everyone on the mountains of Edom will be cut down in the slaughter. Because of the violence you did to your close relatives in Israel, you will be filled with shame and destroyed forever. When they were invaded, you stood aloof, refusing to help them. Foreign invaders carried off their wealth and cast lots to divide up Jerusalem, but you acted like one of Israel's enemies. You should not have gloated when they exiled your relatives to distant lands. You should have not have rejoiced when the people of Judah suffered such misfortune. You should not have spoken arrogantly in that terrible time of trouble. You should not have plundered the land of Israel when they were suffering such calamity. You should not have gloated over their destruction when they were suffering such calamity. You should not have seized their wealth when they were suffering such calamity. You should not have stood at the crossroads, killing those who tried to escape. You should not have captured the survivors and handed them over to their terrible time of trouble. The day is near when I, the Lord, will judge all godless nations. As you have done to Israel, so it will be done to you. All your evil deeds will fall back on your own heads. Just as you swallowed up my people on my holy mountain, so you and the surrounding nations will swallow the punishment I pour out on you. Yes, all you nations will drink and stagger and disappear from history. But Jerusalem will become a refuge for those who escape. It will be a holy place, and the people of Israel will come back to reclaim their inheritance. The people of Israel will be raging fire and eat on a field of dry stubble. The descendants of Joseph will be aflame, roaring across the field, devouring everything. There will be no survivors in Edom. I, the Lord, have spoken. Then my people living in the Negev will occupy the mountains of Edom. Those living in the foothills of Judah will possess the Philistine plains and take over the fields of Ephraim and Samaria. And the people of Benjamin will occupy the land of Gilead. The exiles of Israel will return to their land and occupy the Phoenician coast as far north as Zarephath. The captives from Jerusalem exiled in the north will return home and resettle the towns of Negev. And hold on to this passage here. Those who have been rescued will go up to Mount Zion and Jerusalem to rule over the mountains of Edom. And the Lord himself will be king. In Lamentations chapter 1 verse 18, we see why the people of Jerusalem uh, are destroyed. Verse 18, the Lord is right 
Jerusalem says, For I rebelled against him. Listen, people everywhere, look upon my anguish and despair. For my sons and daughters have been taken captive to distant lands. See, the difference is, is they own the rebellion. We rebelled. The Lord is right. And you see in that the two attitudes that I think are the running theme through the rest of Scripture. There are those who will stand up and say, The Lord is right, I am wrong, and I deserve the punishment that I receive. And then there are those who will say, Well, I've always been the right one. I've always been with you, right? And I think we see this in the prodigal son, and we'll touch on that in just a minute. But we look at Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 25, where we see the wise man built his house upon the what? The rock, the word, the man who hears my word and then obeys is like a man who built his house upon the rock. Notice that both in that story have heard what? The commands of God. They both know what is pleasing to God. But one does as he's commanded, right? And as we see the Scripture unpacked in the New Testament, it's not necessarily a checkbox, right? If anybody could check the box, the Jews did it, right? In Romans chapter 7, Paul says, hey... You know, I I did all the things, you know, in other places. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrew. I'm a Pharisee of Pharisees. If anybody could be saved by doing all the right things, I could do it. It's not about just doing the right things. It's the motive that is involved. It's the motive that's involved. I desperately want my children to love me, and I want them to obey me because they love me. But unfortunately, there are times where it takes a little extra. There's discipline that's involved. And so what we see play out over and over again in the Old Testament is this discipline. Paul himself even says the Old Testament was a disciplinarian, someone who who would teach you. You would see the punishment of God. When you mistreat the poor, when you mistreat the ones who cannot stand up for themselves... It doesn't matter what you sacrifice at the altar. It doesn't matter how wonderful you look on the special days and how you can get on your bells and whistles, literally bells for for the high priest. Uh, It doesn't matter how nice you can make yourself look. It's how you treat those who cannot help themselves. And in that, we see the same punishment for Jerusalem or Jacob's lineage as for Edom, as in Esau's lineage. And we see the difference. You see, Jacob, it wasn't because Jacob did everything right, far from it. It was because God had chosen him. I don't understand all the in and outs and intricacies of that. It's hard for me to understand where it says in the New Testament, uh, Jacob I loved and Esau I hated. Because when I read that, I tend to think, well, I've got a lot more in common with Esau, right? Especially ethnically, uh, I have a lot more in common with them. You know, I'm more in that line. But then you read about Jacob and you realize, well, he's not all that much better. You know, it's not like he's just this glowing example of righteousness. But in that, what do we see? It's God's righteousness. It's not us and how, sure, there are things that we need to do. There are great things that we need to do. There are good things that need to be done. But it all comes down to the attitude In Luke chapter 15, verse 32, you can read the context there. And we've all heard the story of the prodigal son, right? We've got, once again, two brothers. Now, it breaks down a little bit because 
Uh, if you look at it, Jacob is kind of the older brother. Israel is the older brother, and, and you see more of Esau in the younger brother. So you're going to have to forgive me of that little connection, although they were technically kind of born at the same time. But what happens? The, the prodigal son comes home. He's lived this riotous living. The father pours out this wonderful party, right? And having a younger sibling, I can know the, that, that jealousy of, man, he, he gets all this, and what did I get? I can understand that to a... I mean, he's talking to me every time. But that last passage that I've glossed over, over and over again, what does the father say to the son who stayed? You've always had everything that was mine. It's always been yours. You live and stayed in my glory this whole time. Right? Sometimes I look at people who have stories, you know, they hit rock bottom... And they come back and they're so on fire for God. And I, I can honestly say I've heard those stories and thought, man, I'm kind of jealous of their fire, right? Well, the only reason I don't have their fire is not because God hasn't poured out the same measure of mercy and grace on me. is me. I'm standing in the way. I, well, I just can't have that. Well, why can't you? Have you ever asked for it? Have you ever pleaded for the Spirit to give you that kind of motivation? He says, everything that I have has always been yours. It's always been here for the taking. You just don't choose to have the right attitude towards it. In Matthew 15, 8, he says, you know, their, their lips honor me, but their hearts are far from me. I hope that can never be said of us. I know it can be said of me in my life that there are times where I come and I'll sing my little heart out, brother. But my heart is somewhere else. You see, that's the thing. The little brother there, he's far off. He's physically removed. He, he's got other things going on in his life and that's no excuse for him to act the way he is. But think about how ridiculous it is for this guy to be living in the glory of God and yet not recognize it. His heart not be in it. All he can do is focus on, well, I've always been here and I've always done the work. I've done the work while he's gone. In fact, he probably picked up some of the chores that the younger brother should have been doing. And all he can think about is what I've done and how well I've done it. And you look back at Lamentations, we see where that attitude leads. It's rebellion. It's not getting the point. In John chapter 4, Jesus has a conversation with uh, someone who might be considered one of Esau's descendants. I'm sure the Israelites looked at her that way. And he, he says, you know, the, the Israelites, they worship in Jerusalem. We worship on this mountain. What is Jesus' response? There's a day coming. He almost seems like he quotes Obadiah verse 21, right? There's a day coming where you're going to worship God. It won't matter your location. It won't matter where you locate yourself. It won't matter where your GPS, if you'll allow me to use that terminology, to insert that into this text. But it won't matter what your GPS says. It's going to be spirit and truth. Spirit and truth. You see, you have these two groups right here. One would be glad to say, oh, we've got the spirit, right? We're into it. One would say, well, we've got the truth. And what is Jesus going to do? In bringing uh, Edom up to Jerusalem, to Zion, he's going to unify both. He says, you got to have both. Paul's writings over and over again in the New Testament, what are they doing? 
breaking down this wall of racism. Romans, he says, hey, there is no... You, got, you Jews that have held it down, you, you Gentiles who've held it down while the Jews are persecuted, that's awesome, that's amazing. It's so great that the Jewish Christians can come back and now we can worship together. And they didn't see it that way. It was a pull and tug and I want it my way and well, I want it my way. And then we get Romans 14. He says, hey, listen, you know, there shouldn't be any arguing and division where God has not put a place for that to be. He says, I want to bring you together because I'm going to be the king overall. Galatians chapter 5 Paul writes out, he says, this is what it looks like to live by the flesh. Arguing. Jealousy. Strife. Living by the flesh is easy to see, is it not? If we're honest with ourselves, we look in the mirror of our soul and we see. It's very easy for us to see where the flesh, where we're living in the flesh and where we're living from the Spirit. Let's revisit Obadiah verse 21. Very quickly, if I can find it again. It's one of those hides in the nooks and crannies there. Those who have been rescued. When you're rescued, are there questions about how you got there? Maybe you have some questions. But generally speaking, somebody comes in and says, Hey, if you don't do this, you're going to die. Right? I've had people go, I just don't know how you did it, Travis. I don't know how you did it. I don't know how you did it. You do it because that's what they tell you. Hey, here's the other option. Well, you can go home if you want. That's how you do it. When God shows you in Scripture and says, this is how it must be done. And you're convicted, right? Acts chapter 2. They're not asking questions. There's no big deep theology. Well, I just don't know. What's the theology behind this? How do we know? No, it's, hey, do this and you will be saved. Okay, let's go. You want to talk about conviction? When you're convicted, it's not a question of whether we should do this. It's more of like, how should we do this? And can we speed up the process of getting it done? beautiful thing here is it talks about those who are rescued will go up to Mount Zion in Jerusalem. Now, however you feel about Jerusalem, whether you believe that it's going to come back or whatever, however you feel, Jerusalem is an idea. It's an ideal. It's a place where God reigns and where His reign begins to become a worldwide empire, not by force, not by sword, but because of love. God wants us to be drawn to Him. Now, ultimately, we have a decision in it, at least for a little while, because there's that day coming when we'll all acknowledge God. We, it'll be, uh, it'll be so, He'll be so large and in charge that there won't be any rebellion. The rebellion will be squashed in the very imagery when we see God and come into that place. That all of it will be... And, and there's the difference, right? Those of us that, that feel that and want that gone from our life, what does it do? It excites us. It gets us enthusiastic. Man, I cannot wait to the day where I don't have to deal with the old selfish Travis anymore. When all that is chased from me. Like Paul says, he says, but to those who are perishing, it's what? It's death. I, I like the way I am, right? And there are parts of me that like the way I am. 
But that spiritual part of me, that spirit-led life says, oh no, I can't wait to be rid of that. What's things that we say about people who've suffered in this life, who've, who've passed on today? At least they're not what? Suffering anymore. At least they're not having to deal with the problems of life anymore. A person who doesn't believe in God, who has no relationship with Him, can't say that. It's fearful. It's an anxiety-laced thing. And I'm not saying that we don't deal with anxiety, but through sanctification, the Spirit has anxiety on the run, chasing it into the darkness where it belongs, and then even revealing it there. The rescue to rule over the mountains of Edom, and the Lord Himself will be King. Who sits on the throne of your heart this morning? You know, a lot of times, and I was listening to a podcast this morning, I'll probably share it on the app. He says, you know, Church of Christ, we're all about some direct commands, right? You've probably heard that. There's necessary inference and direct commands. And, and, and the guy mentioned in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, be filled with the Spirit, right? It doesn't get much more direct than that, does it? And I, I've never read that text and thought, oh, that's a direct command. No, that's a direct command. Be filled with the Spirit. That means putting to death the old man. And not in a slow, plotting process, although sometimes it feels that way. But when we see the dead man, we put him down. You ever seen a zombie movie, right? The kids call it a double tap, right? Pop, 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 right? Boom. Uh, out of here. Done. We ain't letting these guys hang around, right? What happens in those movies when a loved one becomes a zombie? And somebody wants to let them hang around. Somebody's going down, right? And the Spirit says, uh-uh, that those people can't hang around. Y'all didn't see a zombie reference coming today, did you? But you can't let them hang around. You can't allow that to, to become a problem. You've got to give it over to the Spirit. And that's a wonderful thing this morning. If you're not a believer, you need to give over to the Spirit. If you're a believer, if you've believed all of, your, all of your adult life and even some of your teenage years, when you see that problem, you need to be convicted to allow the Spirit to put it to death. Be filled with the Spirit. Finally this morning, Lamentations chapter 3. A, a verse that you probably could sing along to in your own version. But it says in Lamentations 3, in the midst of the destruction of Jerusalem, where you may be in the midst of a destructive time in your life where you just can't see which way's up. You may have, when I said lamentations, you might have been like, oh boy, here we go. I don't want to listen to this. But anybody who's ever been in a situation where they didn't know which way was up, they're suffering, they're in the midst of pain, they don't understand what's going on. You have a lot in common with Jeremiah writing lamentations. And in the midst of, of the destruction of everything that they held dear. Loved ones being taken off, bound hand to hand, walking into captivity. In the midst of this writing, Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 through 26, the faithful love of the Lord never ends. I hope there's an exclamation mark there in your Bible as it is in mine. His mercies never cease. Great is His faithfulness. Wherever you're at this morning, whether it's good times, bad times, in between, you don't, once again, don't know which way's up. There is one person 
who is faithful to you, even in the midst of your anxiety, your failure, your weakness. And that's God. God wants to be there in those times that maybe others run in fear. I, I tell you, I, I like happy times. I don't know about you. I'm, I'm the opposite of Eeyore, man. I, I want to be a... If I see an Eeyore coming, I run the other direction. It was hard. I was trying every reason in the world not to read Lamentations this morning. I'll be honest with you this morning. I was like, oh, I don't want to do Lamentations. I don't want to do Lamentations, please. Nobody in the crowd wants me to do Lamentations. But here we are. Great is His faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I will hope in Him. The Lord is good to those who depend on Him, to those who search for Him, so it is good to wait quietly. There's another one of those words, Brother Doug, that I don't like, that word wait. And and you know I'm not good at waiting quietly. I mean, that's a double whammy on me. Wait quietly for the salvation from the Lord. You see, this morning you have a choice, right? You have a choice. You can wait on the destruction of the Lord. And the destruction of the Lord, when it comes, will make Babylon's destruction of Jerusalem look pitiful. It won't even be close. It will be worldwide punishment upon sin. All you can do is Jeremiah encourages us here in the midst of struggle to wait on the salvation of the Lord. Because just as epic as the destruction of the Lord, His salvation is even greater. And the beauty of that, the more and more I live, is it has so very little to do with your ability to accomplish anything. That even in the midst of your failures, this morning, if you have a need one way or the other, whether you need to be baptized into Christ and and, and allow the Spirit to indwell you as you've been commanded, we'd love to do that. We'd love to be a part of that. If if you're walking with Christ and you just need a hug, we're, we're there for that as well. Whatever you may need, we pray that the Spirit would guide us into what you need and to see that opportunity. Uh, some of us, uh, like myself, are, are not very uh, observant. And, and you may be struggling, and you may just have to simply say, hey, I'm hurting, and, and I, I need that sometimes. I need it to be blatantly in my face. I'm hurting. Just come tell me, tell somebody, because we want nothing more than to be the hands and feet of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you have a need, won't you come as we stand and sing?